Good to see you here tonight. Acts chapter 2, please. We are now seeing the results of Peter's sermon that he preached on Pentecost. We'll begin tonight by reading verses 37 through 41. Good to see you turning and finding your place. Acts chapter 2, the Bible says, beginning in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Well, we talked last week about the results of spirit-filled preaching. And remember that we're not to take away from this that spirit-filled preaching automatically equates to conversions. That would be wonderful. 3,000 were saved and baptized this day. So we have to be careful about saying spirit-filled preaching always leads to somebody making profession of faith. I know many preachers jump to that conclusion and bless God when the Spirit of God's upon it and uh, the people will move and respond. No, they may not. And we talked about how we, we see Peter here. He preaches this and 3,000 are saved, but then you go over to chapter 5. He preaches the same thing basically to the council and they want him dead. Same message. And don't tell me Peter was less spirit-filled. He was so filled with the Spirit that they were trying to put people just in the path of His shadow. What is the result then of Spirit-filled preaching? It's being pricked in your heart. That's the key. In both cases, Peter's preaching, one they respond, the other they don't. But in both cases, they were cut to the heart. They were pierced. And that's what the Word of God does because it, it pierces. It's quick. It's powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrows, and is what? A discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And that's what spirit-filled preaching does, witnessing. I'm not just, I don't mean just up here. I mean when we're giving the Word of God, okay? When it's, when it's got the Spirit upon it, then there's going to be a, a pricking in the heart. And so the emphasis last week was we don't control the results. We don't control whether somebody accepts or rejects. Peter saw 3,001, and then the next, they want him dead. But God reached the listener's heart, and, and that's all we can really hope to achieve. And Now, we should earnestly pray for results. I think we understand that. We don't make the outward response our goal, but that hope is what keeps us faithful to keep giving or to keep uh, proclaiming the Word of God and so we just have to stay faithful to plant and to water. That's what we've been called to do. God brings forth the harvest in His time. Amen. Well, these on Pentecost, 
They were concerned, those here that were concerned for their eternal destination. They asked Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? I like that. And then we considered the blessing of Peter's response. They weren't told to work hard and maybe in the end everything would weigh out to their benefit and God would say, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Peter didn't say, well, if you just join our church, you know, we're trying to grow, we're at about 120 and... You know, if you join our church, you'll be right with God. He didn't say that. But he just simply told them, you need to repent. They couldn't work. The work was done. Jesus had already finished it. Then as a result of the repentance, as a result of their sins being forgiven, he says, you need to be baptized. And so we talked about how that verse is controversial to some, and I tried to explain some of that. If you missed last week, listen to it, and you get all the finer details of all that that I'm not going to get into again tonight. But we emphasized the importance of following the Lord and believers' baptism last week. Now, I didn't get into the, the end of verse 38 last week very much. I just really kind of mentioned it. But just real quick, I want you to notice that those who repent baptized, ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, remember how all of this is on the day of of Pentecost and that all of this is a result of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. They, They already had received the Holy Ghost in John chapter 20. They are told by Christ before He ascends to tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. I believe in chapter 1 it's called the the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's what they're waiting on. And so they already had the Holy Ghost. They're waiting to be uh, empowered, if you will, in a very unique way. And, and as they're, they're, they're waiting for this, what takes place, what caused all this stir in Jerusalem was the fact that the Holy Ghost had been poured out upon them. And they are now speaking in these languages that they otherwise wouldn't have really known how to speak. And, and so Peter here, he's preaching and he says, And you shall receive the Holy Ghost, if you'll give your life to Christ. Well, isn't that interesting? Well, isn't that what the prophecy was earlier on in chapter 2 from Joel? That the day was coming, God would pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons, your daughters, your handmaidens, your servants, your old men, your young men, everyone, regardless of status, could receive the Holy Ghost. And so Peter here saying, if, if you'll repent you can receive the Holy Ghost as well. So who was this promise to? It wasn't just for anybody, right? In verse 21, it was for, because as he's talking about this is what's going to happen, the Spirit's going to be poured out, verse 21, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so who is the promise of the Holy Spirit for? It is for any who will call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. If you've done that, then you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit tonight. Hallelujah. And so it's, it's for everybody who is saved, who has called upon the Lord. And in verse 38, Peter is saying, If you will repent and be saved, then you shall receive the same gift that we have been given, just as God promised to Joel back there hundreds of years ago. Now, let me give you my personal opinion, and you can do with this as you see fit. But I believe personally, as of now, which means I'm free to change my mind without you getting mad at me, I I personally believe right now that this doesn't mean, I don't think Peter's telling them that you too will speak in tongues. 
I don't think that's what's being said. And if you have that opinion, that's fine. I'm not against you. Amen. We're all friends and all those things and praise God. I believe some of them may have. We're never told. They may have, but I don't believe that this means that all of these people that would receive this Holy Ghost would be blessed with the ability to perform sign gifts, to perform miracles. And I say this really just in context here. Verse 39, look what it says. For the promise is unto you, to your children, to all that are afar off, and even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That's us today. So just reading this here, we see that the promise Peter's talking about wasn't just for them to receive the Holy Ghost, but it was for all to come who would call upon the name of the Lord. And the fact is, we find no biblical proof that the sign gifts continued past the first century. Well, you say that's easy to say because the Bible wasn't written after the first century. I know, win-win. Okay. Um, Now, we certainly don't find where as many as the Lord God shall call, that's us, would be able to perform miracles and signs and wonders. Because not all did, even in Bible times. It seems clear to me that all those miracles and sign gifts were primarily limited to the apostles. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. We do find some exceptions. For example, Stephen and Philip performed miracles. Paul mentions to the Corinthians that the Spirit gave the gift of healing and working of miracles as the Spirit willed. And Paul mentions the working of miracles by the ministration of the Spirit to the Galatians. But all of that falls within the time frame of the book of Acts. Because when those letters were penned, they're happening here in the book of Acts. We'll kind of see that in Paul's missionary journeys. And so with that, I I think those miracles, those sign gifts, they were connected to this time period here in the book of Acts. Remember, the book of Acts is a transition time frame. Jesus has been on the scene walking with them for three and a half years. They're transitioning from Him being with them to knowing how to work with the Holy Spirit. They're transitioning from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. All these things are taking place. And, And God, He was just turning the world upside down giving these men this ability to do these miracles and these signs that would shake the world up with Christianity spreading all over the place. Now, I believe today, because churches are firmly established throughout the world and because we have a complete Word of God, that we no longer need the sign gifts and the miracles. It'd be nice. Amen? Amen. It would. I mean, we could fake it like Benny Hinn or whatever his name is and take off my coat and throw it at you and you fall over. Amen? Because it's just so full of the Spirit or something. Uh, Amen. What a blessing. So in Christ, we receive the Holy Ghost. Immediately, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise unto the day of redemption. What does that mean? It means you can't lose it. We're sealed. 
Only one person can break that seal, and that's God. We've been given, the Bible says, the earnest of the Spirit, our down payment. And so, hallelujah, what a joy to be in Christ. Now, let's move on to verse 40. That was all just opinion stuff. It says in verse 40, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. So we find that not everything that Peter spoke has been recorded for us here in chapter 2. But enough has been recorded to capture the events of the day for us to know what took place and believe what took place. And what Peter did was he testified and he exhorted to the listener. To testify here means not only to testify personally, which Peter obviously could do having walked with the Lord Jesus Christ, but it also means that he was charging them and he was earnestly protesting with them. He is, he, he is preaching the Word of God is what we're getting to here. And, and when he exhorts them, uh, was that the other word? What was the other word here? Somebody help me. Yeah, and when he exhorts them, uh, he, he's not only, not only laying a charge against them and testifying, but now he's encouraging them to respond to the message. You catching this? So he's preaching. We, we, have, we have what we went over already, but evidently he said some more stuff. He's preaching to them. He's laying a charge against them. He's, he's letting them see that they need Christ and that I'm, some other stuff I'll get to in a minute. I don't want to get ahead of my message. And he's letting them know these things, and, and now he's exhorting them, or now he's giving them an opportunity to respond to what He has given them. If I could put it this way, He's given them an altar call. He's extending an invitation. He's giving them a chance to make a decision about Christ. And we can learn from this that when we give the Word of God, we should issue a challenge to the listener. The one that we're speaking to, we ought to go a step further and not just sheepishly give them the Word of God, but we should challenge them to answer some questions about what they believe from what you just told them. Not just yes and no stuff, amen? And so when you're giving the Word of God, as we talk about being a church in action, and you're giving people God's Word, you've got to get out of your comfort zone, and you've got to be able to challenge them and then when you've challenged them, you need to be able to invite them to make some sort of decision. Not pressure them. Everybody with me? So he extends an invitation. Preaching should challenge, and preaching should lead us to consider what it is we've just heard and bring us to a decision point. Most people will hear it and just walk away. So we've got to go a little bit further and we've got to testify and we've got to exhort. So don't just present it, but make them give you some answers, if they will. Give them some questions that they need to answer. Give them a chance to respond to see where they're at about who Christ is. Now, we are given part of Peter's exhortation here in verse 40. He tells them all, save yourselves from this untoward generation. 
This is the decision point that Peter is bringing them to. You need to save yourself from all that's going on over here. Stay with me. Because we hear that, well, I thought you said Jesus saves. Why now do they have to do something? Why is Peter telling them to save themselves? In essence, what Peter is calling them to repent of or to change their mind about is how Christ relates to the gospel. And remember that the scene that we have here, it's taking place in Jerusalem. I I said before, they're most likely, we can't prove it, but they're most likely at the temple grounds. And, but for sure it's taking place in Jerusalem. And we saw earlier in this chapter that those that are being addressed are devout Jews and devout proselytes. Those are Gentile converts. But they're also living just like the Jews. And these people are devout. They've, they've now brought their dwelling place to Jerusalem to learn from the rabbis. I mean, these guys are entrenched in Judaism. They're going to the right schools. They're dressing the right way. They're singing the right songs. They're doing all those things that good Jewish people do. Amen. I don't know. I was going to say good Baptist, amen, but I didn't want to ruffle any feathers here tonight. And so he's, he's bringing them here to make a decision. These devout Jews who are absorbed with religious ceremonial observances. And he's telling them, you need to save yourself from this untoward generation. These men were looking to the council made up of the scribes and the Pharisees. That's who they looked to to see what should we do? What should we believe? How should we act? You see, the the, the whole teaching of God had become so corrupted that it became the traditions of men. And Jesus railed against that while He was with them, in front of them. Woe unto you, ye hypocrites! And they had all this oral tradition It's still recorded today. You can buy it online. You can buy the Talmud and you can read it. It's incredible. It's all these volumes and it tells you how you're supposed to tie your shoes just the right way in order for you to be right with God. And so that's that's who these men were. And Peter's preaching to them. He says, you need to save yourself from this untoward generation. Now, what does untoward mean? It means warped. (laughs) It means perverse and crooked. They were warped about their opinion of Christ They were distorted and corrupted about the things of God. And as a result, they had become crooked. And Peter wasn't the first to call out that generation. John the Baptist. Amen. The Baptist. The Baptist. Amen. Well, I'm glad half of you are Baptists. And here's this guy and he's wearing camel hair. Well, he wouldn't fit in with the independent Baptists of today. There's some nut out there wearing camel hair. He's eating locusts and honey. The dude's whack. What's he preaching? Repent. One day the scribes and Pharisees came to him and they wanted to be baptized and he said, you're a generation of vipers. He preached against that generation as well. Jesus asked, whereunto shall I liken this generation? He called them a generation of vipers too. He called them an evil and adulterous generation. He called them a wicked generation. He called them a faithless and perverse generation. And in this, we see what Peter is saying here, save yourselves from this untoward generation, is that our preaching is not meant to tickle people's ears. 
I'm not saying be rude. I'm not saying be ugly. I'm not saying you got to beat them upside the head. But you ought to speak truth. And Peter says, you are living in the midst of an untoward generation and you need to save yourself from that. And so our preaching is to get to the point. We are to call out the evil in our day and call out the evil generation that's participating in that. We are to call out how they are wrong in their thinking about who Christ is. And it's rampant. Well, God made me this way. God makes no mistakes. No, you don't understand. I, I'm, I'm a female trapped in a male body. No, God doesn't make any mistakes. I'm not making fun and I'm not being mean. But we have got to point that out. Because the thinking is that's how God... I'm not talking about those who are without, you know... We should still try to reach them. But I'm talking about those who have an opinion of Christ and God and their thinking is all messed up. We are to call that out. That's what Peter is doing here. He's calling out the sin. He's calling out the generation they live in. And, and here, here's what I want you to get from what Peter is saying. If you repent, your life is going to have to be different. If you repent, your life will be different. Maybe I should put it that way. That's what Peter is telling them here. This isn't saying save yourself because Christ can't fully save you. But what Peter is telling them is you need to deliver yourself or you need to come apart from those who maliciously oppose Christ and His gospel of salvation. Deliver yourself from this untoward generation. Get away from those who are keeping other people from embracing the way of salvation through Christ alone. Speaking of that untoward generation, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 13, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for neither go, neither go ye in yourselves, neither suffer or allow ye them that are entering to go in. It's the blind leading the blind. But what does 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18 say? Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And that becomes a major theme throughout the entire Bible. God wanting us to come out from among them. Save yourself from the untold generation. God called to Abram and Ur of the Chaldees. He said, I got, a, I got somewhere I need you to get. You need to get out of there. You need to get out of Babylon. And throughout the Bible, there's a call to come out from the evil generation that we live in and be separate. Well, that may cost me a family relationship. Yeah, it might. Well, that may cause me, cost me some friendships. It might. But we're to come out from the sinfulness of our day. And if we don't shine as lights, what are they going to see? Come out from among them. Get out of Babylon. 
And there's way too many verses in the Bible to list on this. But even near the end of Revelation, you'll read in Revelation 18.4 concerning mystery Babylon. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not her plagues. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.9, But ye are a chosen generation. Get out of that untoward generation because you're chosen. You're a peculiar people, he says. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. Act like it. That ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And so we see in Acts 2.40 that there is action when there is true repentance. This is why I have such a hard time with some of the stuff that I've seen in my life in our stripe of churches. Bibles full of names in the back of people we've led to Christ and not a one of them ever ever been dunked. Not a one of them ever came to church and were faithful. But bless God, I led them through a prayer and they're going to heaven. They may be going to heaven, but I'll tell you this, it sure didn't have a deep impact upon their life. Somebody say amen. There is action when there is true repentance. I spoke about that last week. I won't get back into that. There will be a turn from this wicked generation in which we live. Philippians 2.15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in this world. Understand tonight, there are things that God has called us to do And He's already given us the power to do it. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because people say all the time, I can't. God has given us the power and He expects that we will act upon it. We have been given the power to deliver ourselves from this wicked generation. I know that's through Christ. We'll get there in just a second. But we've been given that power to deliver ourselves. Listen to some of these verses. James 4 and verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. But what does it say next? Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Isaiah 1.16, Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease, cease to do evil. Titus 2.11 and 12, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us, denying, ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And finally, 1 Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Now, as I was hinting at, we understand this is only accomplished through the power of God, but still... Would you agree there is action that we have to take? The power is there. It dwells in us, but we still have to make the step. 
we still have to take some action to say, I'm going to forsake some things, deny some things, and abstain from some things. We have to do our part. And so Peter says, save yourselves from this untoward generation. And he calls them to repentance. He extends the invitation to come out from under their warped theology of the scribes and Pharisees. And, and so I want to I ask you, has there been a change in your life since you professed Christ? Or are you still living in Babylon among the wicked? And don't say you can't come out from it. If you're in Christ, then God dwells in you through the Holy Spirit and He has therefore given you the power to save yourself from this untoward generation. You don't have to stay where you're at. You can have victory. But we all know we're as close to God as we want to be. God does His part, but we must do our part. Now, I didn't really intend to dwell on that thought, but let's finish by considering verse 41. Then they that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So Peter has preached with the power of the Spirit of God. They were cut to the heart. He calls them to repentance, to turn from this untoward generation. He gives them a chance to respond by inviting them to come to Christ, and now we see the results of this great day in church history. And we can gather from this language that not all present embraced the truth. Because it says, they that gladly received. It sounds like there may have been some who didn't gladly receive. But those who responded positively, gladly received the Word. With pleasure. You see where I'm going with this? With pleasure they received salvation. There was no arm twisting. Listen, you better give time for the Holy Spirit to convict of sin. And so there shouldn't be arm twisting is what I'm saying. I got into a big discussion with somebody who was giving me what for about should we lead in prayer. And I said, I don't care if you do, if you don't. My personal thing is I don't. And I said, if somebody gets desperate enough to get saved, they'll cry out to God. And you would have thought I smashed the Ten Commandments. I'm not against it. I'm not. I'm not against it. Some people need help. That's fine. I just said, my thing is, I want to give people time. And I know that once the Spirit really works on a heart, and they want to be saved, and I say on a Sunday morning, if anybody here is not saved, and you want to come forward and know Christ as your Savior, they'll come walking out, and they'll be saved before they get down here. You say, how do you know that? Because that's how it happened to me. Well, let me move on here. So they gladly received it. No forced conversions. What am I saying? Let's not pick fruit out of season. These were pleased to receive Christ as their Savior. They were happy about it. (laughs) I still marvel at those who say they are in Christ, but they seem to be mad about it. (laughs) What are you so mad about? You're saved. Those who are truly in Christ, they're glad. Did you know it's a blessing and not a curse to be saved? You wouldn't know that by some. I'm going through trying to put together the state of the church address, and Kenny, (laughs) Brother Long said in one service, why do some people work so hard to make themselves miserable? Be here next Sunday night for that. It's a joy to be in Christ. Listen, all my sins are forgiven. 
They're washed away in the blood of Christ. I'm on my way to heaven. I'm blessed. Why be mad? You ask someone, are you in Christ? And they say, yes. And so you ask, how did you come to know Christ as your Savior? And all of a sudden, they're angry about being saved. Who are you to judge me? Well, nobody's judging. They're just asking a question. It's like the lady who called recently who was upset that we had placed some door hangers out there. Claimed to be a Christian. Why are you so upset then? And yes, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to give you my number. I don't want to talk to you anyway. Okay, I do. I want to help her. Okay. Being a pastor cramps my style. Are you in Christ? Yeah, but I can't do anything. Yeah, but I have to give up so much. And if you're an independent Baptist, you've given up a lot. I mean, we can't swim. We can't watch television. We can't wear modern looking clothes. We can't tap our feet to any kind of music. I mean, listen, we're, we're an odd bunch tonight. We've given up a lot. We should not be happy. I've never seen an independent Baptist have any fun at all. I am lying. Brother Foley, do you remember the night that we went spotting in, your, in somebody's vehicle? I can't remember who it was. I have never laughed so hard in my entire life. You'll have to see me afterwards to get some details because it would take too long to tell the story. But if you were in that van that night, good night. <laughs> but we can't have any fun. L listen, the commands of God, they're not grievous, the Bible says. And it's a joy to be in Christ. The Bible says we have liberty in Christ. Only use not your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. But, but listen, we, we have freedom in Christ. I'm glad I had an opportunity to receive His Word, and I'm glad that I received it. Amen. What's not to like about being delivered from hell? Yes. Amen. Well, if you needed more proof that verse 38 isn't saying that baptism is necessary for salvation, then look no further than what is said here next in our context. Only those who gladly received the Word were eligible to be baptized. Did you catch that? Because a lot of people go to verse 38 and they say, see, you got to be baptized for salvation. It's amazing what happens when you just read stuff in context. And imagine if, if somebody who would just read two more verses or whatever it is, and then realize it says, they that gladly received the word were baptized. I mean, the text is clear. So baptism isn't necessary for salvation. And you can and, and imagine being there. Actually, imagine this happening to us. Somebody far more spiritual than me, Brother DeGarmo, gets up and preaches. And 3,000... Sorry, Tyler, did that offend you? I meant Tyler. He's, he's far more spiritual than Brother DeGarmo. Tyler looked like he was mad about that, Amen. Justin's not more spiritual than me. I've been here longer than him. No, he's just been deployed, brother. I'm only teasing. I'm only teasing. I told Tyler the other night, I said, you're such a good sport. 
Amen. I should have never made fun of him about looking like Mr. Rogers. but uh, I know. What a good sport. I said, brother, I wish I would have taken a picture of you tonight because I'm going to put that in the state of the church address. Did you send the gift of Mr. Rogers? Yeah. What a good sport. Amen. So he knows I'm only teasing. There's only certain people I can call out from the pulpit. Everybody else gets offended. So uh, imagine 3,000 people being saved in one day. Not just saved, but baptized. 3,000. I would absolutely love to see a move of God like that. Would you? Would you be okay if our church grew by 3,000 in one day? But preacher, I wouldn't know everybody. No, you definitely wouldn't. But you know what? I don't see this church complaining. This one here in Acts. We don't find them complaining about the growth. Why are they not complaining? Because it's a blessing from God. And hold your breath. But in chapter 4, another 5,000 are going to be added. By the end of chapter 4, this church is going to be at least 8,120 strong. It's the first New Testament megachurch. Which is interesting because we rail against megachurches today like somehow the preacher's compromised. Apparently God's not against it. I'm just getting you to think because I've heard it so much and I used to be in that camp myself. I just don't want to go to a large church. I won't know anybody. Well, God's not against it. What am I getting at, church? We should not be resistant to church growth. I wish we had to build a 70,000-seat auditorium because we reached all of Rapid City. I believe we ought to dream big, ask big, and expect big. I say let's keep growing. Let's reach more and more. We're not kingdom building. I mean, however God decides to, to do that. All I know is Christ said, I will build my church. That may just be spiritually. It may include some numerical growth as well. I believe both are intended. People say, well, I don't know them. Listen, you don't know them now. And they're lost. And you'll never know them. Wouldn't you rather not know them and them be saved and you get to know them in eternity? Do you hear what I'm saying? That's the version of them you'll want to know anyhow. Nobody wants to know the current version of you. In heaven, we're going to be glorified. We'll be like our Lord, and then we'll be worth knowing. So I'm asking you tonight, don't secretly resist God's blessing upon this church by saying things like, well, I hope we don't get too big. What does that mean? Do you know how many are going to be in heaven? And you're not going to have a denominational mess up there. You're not going to say, well, I'd rather go to the church of the 120. Well, I hope we don't do, get too big. Why not? Do we want to reach more souls for Christ or not? Now, I want to be clear. I know what you're saying and I get it. But you can still be selfish and keep to your little group of friends in a big church. Nobody contacting And what makes you think you're so worth knowing? Well, nobody's going to know me. Who are you? I live in Box Elder. Oh, 
Oh, well. Let's just keep at it. Let's continue steadfastly, as we'll see here in the next couple verses, or the next verse, or whatever it is. Let's continue steadfastly, and if God increases our fold, then let's embrace it as a blessing upon us. Because if we aren't reaching more people, then what are we doing? I say let's bring as many people into the kingdom of God that we can. Let's pray.